told us about when they said, did not God, the Lord, bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And then a couple of verses later in verse 16, the Lord answered him when Gideon questioned it again. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon's journey of faith with God started with God speaking to him. It started with him by that wine press and God spoke to him. I don't know whether you're at a point in life where you actually might need God to speak to you more. Maybe you feel like you've been drifting for a bit and you want God to speak to you. I believe God spoke to people even earlier on this morning as we came out the front. There was lots of response from people because we want to engage with God. Yeah. I want to actually start by challenging you. Have you heard God for what he's got for you at the moment? Do you need to hear him more? We can ask God and he can speak to us. So if you're in a place where you want to hear God more, call out to him and he can speak to you. And God spoke quite specifically to Gideon. I suspect this was a surprise to him. He was not threshing wheat in the wine press, thinking about how to save the Israelites from Midian. Maybe he was, but maybe he wasn't. I suspect he probably wasn't. God spoke to, to Gideon and gave him some promises that then were fulfilled quite a long time later in this story. And God can speak to us, and God's maybe spoken to you about some things, and maybe you haven't seen them happen yet. But God's spoken, and that's really, really important. And I think hearing God is critical for us in our walk with him. Now, Gideon went through a bit of a time. That there's a bit more of the story that I'm going to skip about how he, um, how he asks God to confirm things to him. But then we get into verse 30, 25 of chapter 6, and it says, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. Oh, I should say we're on the second height of our totalizer there. You may have noticed it's gone up from the bottom. Because Gideon's heard something from God, and something's happening in his life. But he had, to get, he had to take ten of his servants and did what the Lord has told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So that's him in Legoland cutting down the altar and the Asherah pole. A bit of a messy Lego picture there. And then it goes on to show how uh, Gideon's father then stood up to the other people in the town when Gideon had done this. And they said, who's this who's doing this? This is against Baal. You know, this is terrible. And uh, Gideon's father stands up for him. But Gideon had to do something. So God had spoken, and the next thing, Gideon had to do something. He had to actually do a bit of a clear out. He had to clear out some stuff from his family. That was why he had to get rid of this altar and this Asherah pole. The first thing God called him to do was a clear out. 
I want to move in your life, Gideon, but I'm not going to move until you do a bit of a clear out. So have we got some junk in our lives? I managed to, that was the most messy picture of someone's garage, although the things are stacked up quite nicely in it. But have we got junk in our lives that's preventing us from walking on with God and from him coming into our lives? Gideon needed that clear out. Well, years ago, about 15 years ago, God spoke to Carol and myself. He actually spoke to me directly through two different people. And I may have mentioned this before to people. He, he spoke to me about being used by him to set people free. And lo and behold, what he did immediately after speaking to me about that was he embarked on a clear out of me and was setting me free and doing stuff in my life and at the time, you sort of think to yourself, what's going on in me? And then you think back and you go, ah, he said, I'm going to be used to set other people free. So he's setting me free first, <laughs> which is kind of logical. But when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't always feel like that. And it may be that you're in a situation this morning where God's, doing, God's spoken and you know he's spoken, but he's now doing a clear out in you before he gets you ready for what's next. And I think that's a really important thing for us to understand. It's kind of counterintuitive at times. It's the opposite of what we expect. We expect he'll speak and whoosh, we'll be straight into the new phase and we'll be moving on with him. It doesn't often happen like that, I think. And that's my experience. And I don't know whether I've got friends who God's spoken very clearly to them about being involved in leadership in their, in their lives. And then immediately seems to take them on a period of almost wilderness and difficulty which is actually him doing a clear-out job in them before they can then lead. So I just want to encourage you that if you're in a position where some of the things are being undone in your life, it could well be God on the move fulfilling what he's said to you. So don't be too discouraged about it, but there needs to be a, you need to be able to come to God and ask him for his encouragement. So God did a clear-out of Gideon. And so, actually, I think his faith was rising there. And then it says, now all the Midianites, this is verse 33 of chapter 6, now all the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet him. You notice that God had spoken, he cleared him out, and then the Spirit of God came into his life. So the next stage of, of Gideon's journey was the Spirit of God coming upon him, and him blowing a trumpet. This is the first time he blows a trumpet. I guess he, was, he obviously had a trumpet himself, and he was obviously used to this. And later on, he gets everyone else to blow them with him. Perhaps it was a thing they did in Israel at that, at that time, probably in the temple worship as well. So there was something about Gideon blowing the trumpet under the anointing of God, and he gathered people. And they came to him as well. So he's obviously able to do something, and God was moving in that nation. Now, maybe... At that point, he thought, whoopee, that's it, ready to go, let's do it now. But actually, 
he was still fearful. Because although I think it's because the Holy Spirit had come on him, but his, in his mind and his heart, he's perhaps still back in the wine press where he was earlier on. And he perhaps doesn't yet think, oh, I'm ready for this. And so we get this rather intriguing story of the, of the fleeces which, got, which uh, Gideon puts out. This is something that he's doing. So previously it's been God speaking to him and this is kind of his, his thing, is the fleeces that he puts out. And so, sorry, I should say, the Spirit's anointing had come upon him, and have we asked for more would be a challenge to us. And then we get the fleeces, very nice Lego fleece there. I'm going to need some water from here, actually. It's behind you. Mm, That's better. So Gideon's response is to go... Are you really with me? Now, if I had blown a trumpet and all the Israelites had come and gathered to me, maybe I'd be feeling like God was already with me, yeah? But there seems to be a... a, a, What was going on in the spirit with Gideon was not quite the same as what was going on in his head and in his heart. And so Gideon needed to get his head and his heart ready. So although the spirit had come... He was still quite low in his fear versus faith uh, challenge there. And he needed the fleece. And that's the picture of him wringing out the fleece. So let me just read verses 36 to 40. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you've promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next morning and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. And that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. It's quite a miracle, actually. It's quite an unusual thing to happen. But it was God willing to go with Gideon. Now, some of us, if we were in the position of God at that moment in time, would be, don't be so stupid. I'll choose somebody else instead of you if you want to do this ridiculous thing with fleeces. It's quite quite an absurd thing to do. But clearly, God was with Gideon. And had compassion on him, actually, and was willing to go along with him in his weakness. Do you know that? Sometimes God's like that with us. He's spoken to us, he's come by his spirit, but we're not quite there yet. And he might actually have compassion on us and want to go with us in our weaknesses. I think he does. (laughs) Certainly does it with me uh, on many things. And I think it's just that Gideon wasn't yet up to speed. His heart wasn't where the rest of his life was. But by the time he's wrung out the fleece, the faith level has been going up with Gideon, which is wonderful. God's on the move, and now perhaps Gideon is finally ready. Okay, so early in the morning, Jeroboam, so let me just say that, the step four was God's reassurance. I managed to find, and it's, um, it's the, two, the father and son who do the rugby, the Farrells, isn't it? 
Uh, I've done the father and the son, you know, the Gideon and God thing here. A bit of God's reassurance there in the midst of that. I thought I'd do a rugby thing because Rich is sitting on the end there, and I know he, he loves England rugby. So, what does God do next? Now, Gideon might have felt like, right, I'm ready now, the fleece is done, and God pulls a fast one on him. Early in the morning, this is chapter 7, Jerob Baal, that's Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. And the Lord said to Gideon, you've too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. They look sad Lego figures there. While 10,000 remained. 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So Gideon's blown his trumpet. They've all come. There were 32,000 of them. Fantastic. It's worked. And God says, send away a load of them who are with fear. So that's another interesting thing. So you can see Gideon on the, on the totalizer is going down in his faith here again. So what's going on? I'm going in the opposite direction. And that's because God's going, I'm going to do it my way. What does Gideon feel at that point? I'm not sure that I would feel particularly encouraged at the point where God decides, I'm changing the game again. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Do you think, what do you think Gideon thought at that point? There are still too many men. Uh, no. Am I hearing God correctly, you know? Clear out the wax from my ears? Surely not, Lord. But Gideon is actually quite good at hearing God in all of this, isn't he? He's a bit like Samuel in many of this. He hears God very clearly. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. And if I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And do you think Gideon thinks, hmm, great plan, God. You know, I, I should have thought of this one myself. I mean, what a good way of separating people. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there, once he got there, so he first of all probably doesn't understand what he's really doing. He's just obeying, isn't he? He's just doing what God told him to do next. And God says, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog. Have we got a... Yes, we've got a Lego picture of that. (laughs) From those who kneel down to drink. And 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. And then the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. Bizarre. Really weird. Is there some secret spiritual anointing associated with lapping the water in the way they did? Is there something special about these people that they... They were the ones called to lap like that, and that would be significant when it came to torch blowing and jar cracking later on. Is there some linked up skill here? Actually, I suspect there's absolutely not. I can't think of anything anyway. I mean, maybe God knows something more than we do, but I suspect that it was merely a device to mean that Gideon had to just 
walk step by step with God and do what God told him to do rather than do what he thought was best. It was also God's really nice device to get them down from 32,000 to 300. Amazing! So they had 300 men. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tent but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. That's probably quite a lot of provisions and trumpets, actually. I hadn't thought of that, had you? 22,000 or 32,000 people's worth of provisions and trumpets, all on 300 people. It's a lot of stuff. I'm not sure they needed it all, but anyway. So Gideon's faith level's now nearly back to rock bottom, except he does feel like God has spoken to him, but God's changed the ball game again. Do you ever find that in life, that you feel like you've heard God, you're stepping out on something, and then somehow you get to a point where it actually seems to be going in the reverse direction of where you thought it was going? And are you tempted to think, I got it wrong, I didn't hear God in the first place, or God isn't with me, God isn't good, we were praying and talking about God being good. Are you tempted to think that way? When you're stuck with the 300 men who lap the water and you've got to try and save Israel with them. I suspect you are. Now, his is quite an extreme story, but I suspect that that's true for many of us in our lives. And I just, again, feel that God might be encouraging some of us this morning where things have gone in the opposite direction after you feel you've heard God. Recognize what happened with Gideon and just ask God to help you see where he's at in this because it may be that he's at glorifying himself rather than you. And it may be that he's at doing things his way rather than yours. So I just want to encourage people. I've been there on, at, at times with things, a bit like I was saying about God setting me free when I felt God had called me to see other people set free. Why are we going in the opposite direction, Lord? What's going on? It was something about God doing his work in our lives. But sometimes we, we, we struggle to receive that sort of thing and we feel down about it, don't we? Okay. So, God's challenge. Just when we thought things were going well and we were nearly getting there, God comes up with a different way of doing things. I was also thinking about this at times about church life. You know, sometimes we can have a small-minded attitude and we can say, God could not change the world through a group of people like us. Do you ever feel like that? We're too small a church. We don't have the right giftings in place. We, we haven't got this. We haven't got that. We're not up to it in certain ways. Maybe you also feel like that with the small group of people you're with, the missional community, or maybe you feel like that in your, in your own life or with your family. Very easy to get caught in the numbers game, isn't it? So another thing that was going off in my head was, do we need to be a church of 1,000 or 10,000 to see a city changed for God? Or could we be a church of 300 who lap water? <laughs> um, I suspect that we could be. And that our mindset, our thinking is so much about numbers and size and not about God moving by his spirit. And I just felt he wanted to encourage us as a church this morning. He can do it and he can use us to do it as well. But there's something about the need to rise up in faith and believe him for that. So, 
it was time for the battle to commence. The rather unusual battle, I must say. Actually, there's a little bit before this. I'm going to just skip on to the next one because there's some more reassurance from God. This is God acting now. The first one was the fleece that Gideon put out. Now God whispers to him. So it says, Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. And during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. And afterward, so that we're in verse 11 of chapter 7, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. And their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Lots of locusts and camels. Gideon arrived just... He arrived just as a man was telling a friend of his, a friend, his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. So Gideon arrives just as these two guys in this particular location, which Gideon turns up to, amongst the myriad of Midianites. These two people are having this conversation amongst I don't know how many tens of thousands of people. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing that God should intricately intervene and make that sort of thing happen. And this guy's telling his mate, look, this is what I saw. And his friend responded, this is a Midianite speaking the word of God here. This could be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Whoa, what a... What an interpretation to that dream. Thank you, Lord. I thought it was only Daniel and Joseph and others who were able to have dreams. But seemingly, there is a Midianite soldier who's pretty good at it too. I, I, I don't know about you, but when you step back from that, you, aren't you astounded to think that God said to Gideon, go down and have a, have a listen. And Gideon sort of, and his servant, they have to wander through the undergrowth. I mean, clearly they're the enemy here. And, and they go down and they listen and they hear one in a million people talk to another one in a million person who happens to have an interpretation from God and they give him the word of God. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. I suspect I might do too if I was in such a situation. This is astonishing that God should act so intricately. And yet such was his work in Gideon's life. And I suspect that he's got the same intricate work in our lives, just that we're not always aware of that or really in faith that God can act like that so intricately with individuals. He knows all the individuals on this planet and how to put them together in the right way. Isn't that amazing? So he returned to the camp of Israel and he called out, Get up! The Lord's given the Midianite camp into your hands. I think now we're at the point where his faith is right near the top. But remember, he's just been through a big dip and come up again. Remember that for ourselves sometimes. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, 
So there's only a hundred each. That's not very many. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Do you think at this point they were like, huh? What have I got here then? Hmm. Trumpet. Jar. Huh. What am I got to do then? You know, it's like, I'm not even sure that these guys beforehand knew the plan, knew the trick. You know, they're like, oh, there must be something about these, these trumpets, something about these jars. There must be something special. What am I got to do? Hit them over the head with a jar, slam them with a trumpet. How's that all going to work? I just don't know. We've got all these swords, but we've got them in a pile over there. In fact, we've got 32,000 soldiers worth of swords just over there. But I've got my trumpet and I've got my jar. Hmm. Interesting. Fortunately, the men who lapped the water also had enough faith to follow through with this. So maybe there was something about lapping water and faith. I don't know. They had that faith and they were willing to act. And Gideon was inspired by God. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. And when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. So Gideon knew. God had spoken to Gideon already and told him what was next. Gideon had been learning all the way through this process of how to hear God and how to grow in his faith, and he got to this point. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And at that point, what he says ends. And it's like, hmm, is that all? Come on, Gideon. Surely blowing my trumpet and shouting was the start. No, it just says... Blow out your trumpets, and then from all of the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Ah, right, okay. I think the soldier, if I was one of those soldiers, I would have still been a bit like, what's next? And Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they changed the guard. And they blew their trumpets, broke the jars that were in their hands, and the three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites crying out as they fled. Elsewhere, Paul talks in Ephesians, when he talks about the um, armor of God, he talks about our need to stand, and after you've done everything, to stand. That was actually... All the Israelites had to do. Blow the trumpet, smash the jar, have a torch, have a trumpet, shout and stand. That's all that God was calling them to do. And that's, again, a fundamental lesson for us and a challenge for us to kind of work out how you fit that into your own circumstances. But there's something about what God had called them to do. So they blew the trumpet. A sword for Yahweh and for Gideon, it says there. And the Lego picture starts to get very, very messy and actually quite gory in a few minutes. So my apologies if you don't like blood and gore in in Lego. Um, There we go. Oh, it's terrible. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So this is God acting. Gideon's done his bit. He's blown his trumpet, smashed his jar. This is God acting. 
they turned on each other with their swords, and the army fled to Bethshitta towards Zerarah as far as the border of Abel Mehalah near Tabath. And Israelites from Naphtali, Ashtar, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. So here's a few more gory pictures, and there's the Midianites being pursued. And Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come on down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. And so all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. So suddenly everyone else is involved, but God's actually started with these guys, these 300 and their torches. And this is where God's really... Uh, God's effectively broken open the situation the breakthrough has come from god and now the people are called in to follow up and take the ground in other words to defeat the midianites in this do we need a large army do we need lots of swords or do we just need the almighty god to speak our faith to rise an anointing to come from him and then us to do our bit, and then he does his bit. That's, that's what God did through um, Gideon. Now, there's a couple more pictures. That's Zeba and Zalmunna. They are the uh, two of the kings of the Midianites, and that's them with their heads chopped <laughs> off. So apologies for the blood and gore at that point, which I was, I was trying to give you a couple of minutes warning so that when it got to that particular slide, you were, you were prepared emotionally to handle that. <laughs> So I hope that's okay with everybody. I'm glad that the little kids are not in here for this bit. Um. <laughs> God's on the move in our lives and in our land as well. And what I've done at the side is just put a little bit of a checklist for us, but also a process that Gideon went through. Because I'm wondering whether there are those of us here this morning who are on that journey from fear to faith. In fact, I suspect we all are. Sometimes it's a whole journey of a whole lifetime. Sometimes it's just a journey of a particular circumstance you're in right now where you're being called to have greater faith, but it's a challenge for you. Just remember that God can speak and does speak into our lives, and he can speak very specifically and call us and and direct us. And if you need God to speak to you this morning, I'd encourage you just to call out to him, perhaps be prayed for even at the end. Are you in that process where God's doing a clear out? Remember the need to get rid of the Baal altar and the Asherah pole? God might be doing a bit of a clear out in you. Be encouraged that that's God preparing you for what's next. Do you need God's anointing for where you're going? Do you need his reassurance? Remember that Gideon, although he was a mighty warrior, this is just an amazing story. He didn't need a lot of reassurance on the way. And that's an encouragement to me that sometimes I need plenty of reassurance on the way of my journey with him. And then he had God's challenge going down from those 32,000 to the 300. Are you in a place where somehow things seem to be going in the opposite direction and God's challenging you about how he's going to do it in his way? More reassurance. But then finally, Gideon acts. And he does that one thing at that one moment in time with those torches. And that breaks open the whole situation for the nation of Israel. And delivers them from the Midianites. Incredible story. A real breadth to it. But all the time there's this God bit and this Gideon bit in it. And I I guess I like to see it as Gideon being one of us, really. Being somewhat like us. Although he did this amazing thing, it was actually 
the work of God largely, and he was working with God in it. So where are you up to in your journey? What's, what's up with you? I'm going to leave it there. Carol is going to read us a poem now, which was written by a friend of ours called Georgie Tennant, who Graham and Georgie were part of this church for a number of years and moved to Norfolk a couple of years ago. You need that one, I think. It'll be easier than me unstrapping. And uh, it should be on, actually, I think. Is it on? Yeah. And it kind of brings some of this down to earth for us rather than it being like Gideon and the Superman and his battles. So have a listen to this and maybe there'll be a chance to respond afterwards. Okay, Okay. poem's called The Father's Love. I want to cry today. I want the pain and exhaustion of life to go away. I want to hide under the bed and never come out. I want to lie on the floor and throw a tremendous tantrum, let all the anger, hurt and disappointment out in heaving, shuddering sobs. And God, compassionate Father, gently says, I will comfort you and turn your mourning into dancing. I want to be noticed today. I want the people who ask how I am whilst dashing through the nearest doorway to stop and actually really care. I want someone to acknowledge my efforts, praise me for my progress, love me for who I am, understand what's going on in this mixed-up mind. And God, attentive Father, reminds, I see your comings and goings. I delight over you with singing. I need to know the future today. I don't want my children to be ill, out of sorts, badly behaved, unemployed, I want my bank balance to be positive, to know I can pay the next bill. I need to be sure there is meaning in the chaos and craziness of this daily sprint race. And God, trustworthy Father, declares, I have a future and a hope for you. I want to forget the past today. I want the regrets and disappointment, the hurts done to and by me to fade into the background and not keep resurfacing to ruin my peace and my joy. I need the monsters in the closet to clear off so I can take a break from trying to bar the door to stop them from exploding back onto the scene. I don't have the energy for that today. And God, peace-bringing Father, affirms, you are my child, bought with a price, set free by the blood of my son, And who the sun sets free is free indeed. I want to dance today. I want the world to know that I read my Bible, achieved my goal, got a glowing report, repaid a harsh word with kindness, uncovered a spiritual truth, didn't lose my rag when my toddler lost his. And God, adoring Father, whispers, I'm the one who brings you into this spacious place. I deliver you because I'm pleased with and delight in you. I'm your father. Trust me. I created the universe, yet I know you by name. Trust me. I rejoice over you. Trust me. I long for you to cry out to me so I can do all you need me to do in your life. Trust me. I'm patient and slow to anger. Trust me. I forgive you. I see only Jesus when I look into your heart. Trust me. 
So cry, shout, sob, stamp, ponder the future, recall the past. Have good days as well as bad, but know that I am in all and through all, see all, know all. Rejoice over you as a delighted father who loves you more than you could ever know. Nothing is impossible for me, and I am enough for you.